Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, I'm Claire Venice. And I'm Geoff Lacey. We're taking a Peapod break. And showcasing some of our past Peapods over the summer weeks in... The, the Peapod. Peapod. If you love Petersfield... I love the square. The hangers. The open-air swimming pool. Lots of fun shops. Then The Peapod loves you. It's just a nice town. Everything Petersfield is in The Peapod. With Claire Venice and Geoff Lacey. Thank you for joining us in the Peapod. This week, we're bringing you a Peapod from September the 21st, when Claire and I found ourselves in a field at a country fair on the Bailey Estate. Not only that, but it was a special 30th anniversary, with the founder also turning 80 on the same day. We met with clay pigeon shooters, gun dog trainers and a real-life adventurer. It was quite a morning. And I ended up with a kestrel on my head. We'll be spending the summer having a peepop break, but we hope you enjoy listening to some of our favourite episodes from the last year in the Petersphere. The P stands for Petersfield. Petersfield is special to me. The Peapod. Hello, I'm Claire Venice. And I'm Geoff Lacey. We're feeling outdoorsy. In the Hampshire countryside, in this week's Peapod. If you love Petersfield, I love the square, the hangers, the open air swimming pool, lots of fun shops, then the Peapod loves you. It's just a nice town. Everything Petersfield is in the Peapod with Claire Venice and Geoff Lacey. Welcome to the Peapod. We've been to the Hampshire Country Sports Day at the Bailey Estate near East Meehan. We met with Bill Tirrett Drake, who was not only celebrating 30 years of chairing the Country Day, but a special birthday as well. We also talked to Olympic clay pigeon shooter Richard Folds and countryman Chris Green, as well as some of the exhibitors. And Susie brings you a reflective wild walk from Langley. We end the people with some music from Portsmouth-born musician Emily Lier and her latest single, Extraordinary. The P stands for Petersfield. Petersfield is special to me. The Peapod. Hello, Claire. How are you? Hi, Jov. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, actually. Very well. We're in the sunshine. It's hot, isn't it? Hot stuff coming through. <laughs> are you saying that because your, your beard is growing? <laughs> beard is... Yes. What do you think? It's growing. <laughs> I've still got four weeks to go. It'll be nice and bushy, I reckon, by the, by the time you need it. When the, by the time Mr Bumble is required, hopefully I will have some proper bushy sideburns. Are you pleased with it? Yes, I'm not. I'm not in, even though I had a beard for about five years, I'm not enjoying it this time. Because I've been two, three years without it, and I know it's only for a short period of time, it's, it's annoying me. Probably not so nice in this heat as well. No, and it's very grey. As you can see, Claire... The top of my head is brownish, but I've got a very grey beard. Was it not grey the last time you, you grew it? I think it's more greyer, if that's proper English. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens, I'm afraid, Geoff. <laughs> so, Claire, we went to uh, the Hampshire Country Sports Day. We did. Last weekend, we did, on the 11th of September. What was your biggest takeout from that? It was a really big event. I didn't expect it to be... As, as large as it was, actually, there were a lot of people there first thing in the morning because we got there about half past nine. Yes. It was quite misty. Yes. And there, was, there were quite a lot of people there already. And by the time we left, it was getting packed. But a lot of events going on and a lot of stalls. A lot of events, a lot of stalls. But what I like most, a lot of tweed. <laughs> I tell there you what, was. if I'd had the money, I would have bought a whole new wardrobe. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> it might have cost me my marriage, but there was a lot of tweed, a lot of check, a lot of pink trousers, some red jackets. Oh, it was phenomenal. Your style, John. It was Your my style. style. <laughs> I'm, the only, I'm the only one who thinks it's my style. <laughs> <laughs> you did say you forgot to bring your hat. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've got a couple of hats and that completely slipped my mind, which gutted, gutted. That's why I didn't allow any photos to be taken. Oh, was that Because I wasn't feeling myself. Next time, you'll have to dress for the occasion. Next time. So, Claire, um, start of a new school year. How's it going for you? Yeah, two weeks in. We're all feeling a little bit tired. Um, yeah, there's know, lots of colds already going around. Yeah. Which doesn't bode well. No, there's, there, there was a, a couple of um, mentions this morning of some sore throats and some snuffles in our house. And I just think it's that time of year. They're all with each other again. It just gets passed on, doesn't it? Yeah, I've had a bit of a sore throat. Have you? Yeah, but I don't think it's a cold. I think it's an acting injury. <laughs> because I do done? have to shout a couple of times. And I think I've stretched my throat. Or is stretching throat right? I don't know. Your vocal cords. I've, vocal, I've stretched my vocal cords. So I went into boots. <laughs> <laughs> I went into boots this week. And I said, have you got anything for a sore throat? I said, I don't think I'm ill. I said, I think I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Darling. Darling. <laughs> And uh, I've, n- I've never done that before, and I won't do it again. <laughs> I can imagine the look you got. No, they were very impressed. Were they? they said, oh, what part are you playing? I said, well, we're doing Oliver Twist, and I explained. But she said, no, this, is, this, will, be, this will work perfectly. So three times a day, I'm, I'm spraying my throat in readiness. <laughs> you need to do some warm-ups. Do you not do vocal warm-ups in your, in your rehearsals and things like that? Yes. Okay. But I'm probably not doing enough. Okay. Or I've got to learn to shout better. Use your diaphragm. Yes, that's it. Right from the... Mr bumble Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to the job. I, mean, I, I believe the tickets are going on sale this soon. Week. Is that right? This week. This week. Great. So week beginning the 19th of September. So yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And on that note, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have a story you'd like us to cover or would just like to say hi, please call or WhatsApp us on 01730 555 500 or you can email team at shineradio.uk. Coming up, we talk to wildfowling expert Chris Green and meet some of the exhibitors. But first, let's find out about the history of the Hampshire Country Sports Day and what's on offer here. The Hampshire Country Sports Day takes place every year at the Berylia Estate near East Meon, celebrating the best of the countryside in Hampshire. This friendly, traditional country day celebrates the countryside and the people and animals who work and live in it. Joining us now is chairman of the show, Bill Terrick-Drake, and... Over the background, you will hear the commentary which is going on throughout the day. So, Bill, thank you very much for having us. What's going on here today? Well, when this show was set up originally by Michael Poland back in 42 years ago, we reckon, the whole idea was to give an opportunity for people to take part so they can go and shoot with Richard Folds down at the clay shoot. They can handle gun dogs. They can handle ferrets. Um, They can do archery, they can do air guns, they probably can't sit on a horse because we haven't got horses today because obviously after the Queen's death it was considered inappropriate. So, But the hunt is still going to be here, so children can meet hounds in the arena. It's just an opportunity for everybody to try if they haven't taken part in field sports before. And, And how important is a day like today? 
Well, I'm not sure who, who it's most important for. From our point of view, raising money for Countryside Alliance, that's obviously very important. But for all the people who come to this show in September every year, it's the beginning of their autumn hunting, their autumn shooting, all those sort of things. It gives them a chance to get together in the bar and meet. And they probably haven't seen each other since January, something like that. So we've got loyal people who just love meeting up and they know they're going to see each other, which is great for all of us. It's a nice, nice gathering. Hi, Bill. Exactly. So you're chairman. How long have you been chairman of this show? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Michael Poland was the first chairman. I took over from him a few years after the show started. Um, another friend took it on from me for three or four years, but I seem to have had it um, for the, certainly the last 30, if not more. I mean, it's a very long job. But I'm very lucky. We've got a lot of um, committee helpers who come and set the show up. Um, and, of course, we've got Zara, who actually keeps us all on the straight and narrow. So it works. It's a good team, very good team. So this, this is taking place three days after the passing of the Queen. Was there any consideration in cancelling? There was certainly discussions at top level in Countryside Alliance about the policy of things that were meant to be going on in the countryside. And as I said, they did suggest that, um, well, they started saying that hunting was inappropriate and then they changed their mind a bit and said, well, you can do it on foot, which is what we are doing today. I think we all took a view, probably rather selfishly, that the one thing Her Majesty really enjoyed was the countryside. She loved her shooting at Sandringham, and of course they had a lovely grad shoot up at um, Balmoral. Uh, she supported, she was a great gun dog supporter, and there were wonderful photographs of her with her gun dogs winning um, all sorts of cups. She's a great supporter of field sports, and therefore. I'm sure she is not going to be sitting up there saying, I wish they weren't be doing it today. I'd like to think she'll be thinking, I hope they don't stop these things just because of me. But that <laughs> probably suits us to say that. So your family has been in this area for a, a, a long time now. Is it, It's obviously important to you to look after the countryside and, and be a part of it. Yeah, well, we came here in 1958, so we've been here quite a long time. This show actually was has been at different places until three years ago. Um, I decided and persuaded the committee and Zara that doing it here would be a lot easier for all of us. And actually, on top of the downs here, this is about our only flat field, and it had been down to grass, so it was an appropriate place to do it and of course now we do other events here as well oh I can see some beagles arriving behind you over there um, but I just feel um, I love my shooting my family were a great hunting family I do fish and there will be fishing going on in main arena and people have the opportunity to try casting over there into a pseudo pond but I want to promote the countryside I want to promote field sports and this is my best opportunity to, to do it so which is your favourite part of the show? Well, I'm going to have an 80th birthday lunch in the tent today <laughs> and 200 of my best shooting sporting friends, I think, are going to turn up to have a stand-up mouthful of food. 
Um, so that should be enjoyable today. But I just love it. I wander around and chat to all the trade stands that Zara's got in and all the different activities. I just love the show. I just find it one of my favourite days of the year. And, and how long does it take to organise? Well, I suppose we, well, we have committee meetings starting in March, April time through the year. But the show, I think Wednesday, Zara came and marked out. And then at different times, people have turned up. Um, my farm, well, my son's been on the forklift pushing all the posts in. Luckily, it did rain, which <laughs> makes life a bit easier. It's so convenient for us to have it here because the family, the boys can all do a bit, my sons, and everybody does a bit. So, And it'll be gone by 8 o'clock tonight. This whole lot will be in the container and, wow. and wrapped up. And this field will be bare, apart from the odd leftover trade sand and the odd tent. Amazing. Now, you, you have a number of stalls here. How far have the, have the traders come today? I don't actually know the answer to that. Zara probably knows the answer to that. But um, I'm sure some of them have come quite a long way because a lot of these traders are now doing everything online. Mm. And I suppose the ones that are left um, have go, got to work really hard to, um, to earn a living at it. And it's hard work. You know, they've got. They were here at six o'clock, seven o'clock this morning, and they won't be gone until six or nine, seven tonight. So, um, and probably somewhere tomorrow. I don't know. Hard work. Well, Bill, it's been lovely talking to you about it. Happy birthday! Today is the day. <laughs> Enjoy your 80th birthday party and and the day here at the sports day. Thank you very much. Thank indeed. you, Bill. Thank you. Thanks. And you enjoy the show. The P stands for Petersfield. It's a lovely area, lovely people, lovely atmosphere. The Peapod. Susie reflects on a strange week in her wild walk after an unfortunate sailing injury. What a very strange week it's been. I've just watched the Queen's coffin being taken by gun carriage into Westminster Abbey, as I expect a lot of you have, uh, but obviously not present in London watching everything from the television screen where I feel as if I've been completely static uh, for well over a week now. So there was no special wild walk last week because in fact I had concussion. Long story but it was a sailing injury only my second in 30 years so not too bad and completely like all these things just a accretion of little bits of bad luck ending up with um being thumped on the head but anyway there we are I've got to say that this is the first day since then I think it was the 2nd of September um, when it happened and I was in A&E QA on the day that the Queen died which which began really strange events there you've just prickled yourself haven't you on gorse so that's another bad event silly sausage Um, so there was no wi-fi signal in there and it was really quite bizarre because I I heard that Will and Kate had gone up to Balmoral and I thought oh unexpected I wonder what's going on anyway after that because of con- concussion everything sort of felt dreamlike I kept waking up thinking I had actually dreamt that the Queen had died absurd as that may seem but having spoken to other people there is there's been this kind of dislocation of what day is it today and and what's the date I see even Charles yesterday got the date modelled you wouldn't would you Rain? um but anyway today 
at last that weird cloud has sort of lifted and I feel much more myself again and I'm sitting here with the, at Langley with the sun full on my back I'm amongst the gorse which is all died back now but um, rain is blackberrying as she loves to do and this is just a very quick one because Shine Radio has put together a wonderful tribute to the Queen with Petersfield Remembers so that let me off doing a wild walk for the Peapod this week uh, and then I'm going on holiday to Wales so um, it, yeah I hope it's going to be wonderful it will be very strange we will be uh, commemorating the Queen from St David's Cathedral in all probability because that's where we're going on we go a very strange year but I feel intense pride uh, in seeing, you know, what we do best, this funny little island of ours. And uh, I hope you felt the same. I think there's a lot to be said for duty and service. I think we've had some very bad examples of it from all over the place. Uh, but here I am. This year I'm a bright one. I missed completely the Wild Walk last week, but I was injured. Uh, but back I am. Duty and service rain, which does not include blackberry. So should we... Oh, I don't know if you can hear that. That was an idiotic one to go for. I'll pick you some good ones now. Yes, well might you look. They're too low and nasty. Anyway, have a lovely week. We decided to go for a little walk around to see who else is here at the country show today. And we've come to the British Association for Shooting and Conservation Stand. We've met with Michelle Nuds. Hi, Michelle. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, there's quite a lot of noise behind us. There is. It's a wonderful gun dog demonstration in the arena. So he's obviously got his gun dog sitting there, sitting in the middle and showing the people here at the Country Sports Day what a gun dog can actually do. You've got a good view of it from your stand. We have, we have. Well, as the British Association of Shooting and Conservation, we are very much, we have a lot of gun dog members. We're here supporting the gun dog scurries next to us, which is uh, dogs showing their agility over bales and hunting up dummies in the woods. So uh, we have gun dog members. We are a membership organisation of about 150,000, uh, about 40,000 here in the southeast. So we're here to see our members and have a great day out. Now you're a combination of shooting and conservation. How does that work? How do you combine the two? So it's a really good question and we do get asked that question quite a lot. Shooting and conservation go hand in hand. Um, we are custodians of the countryside so those that live and work in the countryside look after the countryside. When I go to education days I talk about managing the countryside so gamekeepers will be planting cover crops, they will be feeding the birds through the hunger gap years we talk about managing the countryside pest control, really really important we have to understand how our wildlife works and lives deer control is a massive important factor in the southeast here so that's how shooting and conservation go together and you know we are here to explain that to people. I'm glad you did, it sounds very clear now. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's about the fact of understanding the countryside. I mean, I go to an education day and I say to children of, of whatever age that everything you see here, which is green, is managed. We have managed it for hundreds and hundreds of years and fundamentally managed by farmers, landowners, country people and gamekeepers, etc., who obviously look after the countryside for everyone's enjoyment.
And how long have you been involved with the organisation? Gosh, I've been with BASC for uh, about six years now. Um, and previously, I, you know, I've worked in the uh, countryside uh, uh, management companies. And, and so it's a real passion of mine. I've got my gun dogs here today. They will probably be having a go at the scurries later. Um, and it's just great talking to people that love the countryside. And um, just explain to us, what is the scurry? OK, a gun dog scurry. A gun dog scurry is you will go and have a look and a gun dog will then look for a dummy which you're seeing in the arena and also out there and it will be thrown or they have to hunt it up so you'll have to go and have a look but basically behind this tent here there will be a, a, a gun dog or any dog to be quite honest some other dogs do it it's not just gun dog breeds will be jumping over the bales to get a dummy and then bring it back to their owner because there's nothing better as we've just seen a big round of applause for the dog there well, not that you can see it on a podcast but the dog the dog's just gone back to its owner to give the dummy back that's interesting something new i've learned today <laughs> You'll see a lot of dogs here. I mean, I think there's Terry and Lurcher show. As you can see, I mean, just in front of us here now, there are Spaniels, there's Labradors, there's a Collie there. There's just, it's a, it's a great day for your dog to come out. And you sound very passionate about it, Michelle. Oh, I am. <laughs> it's been great to talk to you. Thank you nice very much. Nice to meet you too. Clay pigeon shooting is one of the main attractions here at the Country Day. And heading up the clay pigeon shooting team is none other than Olympic medal winner Richard Folds. Hello, Richard. Good morning. How are you? Very good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm well. Bright and early? Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to a fun day for everybody. Um, hopefully the fog will burn off in a minute and we'll, we'll have the sunshine and everyone will be uh, up at the show having fun, enjoying themselves, eating, drinking, a bit of shooting maybe. So, yeah, looking forward to it. I was going to ask you, there is quite a bit of mist around this morning. Does that affect, obviously, your, your shooting? Um, no, I mean, it, it, we can see plenty far enough at the moment um, to be able to, to run the shoot for the show. So hopefully it'll burn off anyway and, and the sun will come out. So what, what are you actually doing at the show here today? So uh, we've got two things going on. We've got the, we've got the competition, which is running all day, um, which is a 50-target competition with uh, some prize money and some prizes up for different categories for ladies, juniors, uh, veterans and an open class. Um, and then we are running the have-a-go stands as well. We've got three have-a-go stands on with instructors who, if you've never picked a gun up before or if you've only ever done it once or twice, then that's there for people to come and be introduced to the sport and try it out for the first time. What started your love of clay pigeon shooting? For me, uh, growing up on a farm... Uh, with my parents who used to shoot and my dad initially bought me some shooting lessons with a friend of his who was a shooting instructor and uh, just with the sort of the intention of learning to shoot safely on the you know on the game shooting field for the pheasants and partridges and then I got sort of quite hooked quite quickly um, and got into the competitive stuff when I was about 12 years old. Because you're quite local to Petersfield aren't you? did you grow up around here and were there areas where you could practice a lot then um so our uh, my grandfather was actually born on Beerley estate on, uh, on in the house at park farm um many many years ago um and then we my parents had a stud farm in sussex in west sussex um, and then we moved back to hampshire in the mid 80s uh where we farmed at long parish um at the top of the test valley and then uh, my father always wanted to come and have a farm back in the Meon Valley. So in 2001, he bought Stocksdown Farm at Meonstoke. Um, and we were there for 12 or 14 years. Uh, and then when my father passed away, we sold the farm and we moved back to the, the northern end of the county where we run the shooting school uh, from, from Long Parish now. So tell us a little bit about your Olympic career. Well, my Olympic career... 
Um, it sort of started by accident. Um, and I know that sounds very strange, but the, the event that I uh, competed in was a new event that was introduced uh, into the 92 Olympics as a, as a, like a, a test event. Um, it proved quite popular, and then that was actually run as a side event at one of our national championships for a different discipline. So I went along to compete at the national championships um, in the, the non-Olympic event, and the uh, the Olympic event was running as a side, uh, sort of a side event for the day. Um, and the guy who was the British coach for the Olympic team was there, and he said that he thought it might be worth my while coming and. Uh, and doing some of the selection shoots uh, and the rest was history five Olympics later and luckily enough managed to win a gold in Sydney in 2000 Fantastic, congratulations Thank you. <laughs> That was obviously the, the aim, the goal to get there wasn't it? Well, you know, if anybody's got any competitive edge you know, to them at all that's obviously everyone's ultimate sportsman's dream is to win an Olympic gold medal and I was one of the fortunate ones that was able to fulfil my dreams Did you get involved in any other Olympics? or And have you been part of any of the, the shooting teams since? Um, so I did five consecutive Olympics I did 96 in Atlanta Sydney in 2000 um, Athens 2004 Beijing 2008 and then London in 2012, and I retired after London. And what was the London Olympics like for you? As a, uh, uh, as a competition, I didn't shoot overly well. Um, I finished 10th, I think, something like that, um, which wasn't my best performance, unfortunately. Um, but as the Olympics was awarded to London, I wanted to try and do one more turn at it. But maybe I should have retired after Sydney at the top, I don't know. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it's, if, if you've got that bit of competitiveness about you, there's always the urge to try and do one more and have another go. So now, obviously, you're giving back, you're helping others learn how to shoot with your shooting school. What age can people start to learn from? It's not so much an age thing, it's more of a size and strength issue. So my son was six when he started, and obviously under very, very close supervision, just with a very small gauge gun, having a few shots uh, when he was he was at the shooting school in, you know, sort of weekends and, and half terms and stuff. But, you know, we have lots of kids that come who are sort of eight, nine, ten years old who can, you know, learn to learn to handle a gun safely and, and, you know, properly under close supervision. And it teaches kids a huge amount of respect, you know, rather than sort of going and kicking a ball up and down a street and getting up to no good, you know, and teaching them that respect and understanding of, of how safe and careful you have to be installs, uh, you know, a lot of good things into children. And so here you are today. Are you expecting a good crowd? Uh, well, I hope so. Yeah, last year we were very busy all day on the have-a-go stand. Um, so we've we've sort of enlarged it a little bit this year to hopefully try and cope with demand so yeah looking forward to a good day well i think later in the morning i think we should wander down and uh, have a look at the have a go storm you're tempted yeah. joff you're tempted. No, no i'm not <laughs> yeah come and come and come and try your hand fantastic richard thank you very much for joining no us. problem at all thank you now claire and i have continued our walk around the the country sports day show and we've come to the wessex ferret club and we're speaking with pete hello pete how are you i'm all right thank you so, what are you going to be doing here at the show today? We're going to do some ferret racing, and we're also going to explain about ferrets and welfare of ferrets and so on. Uh, we do rescues, and some of the club members are pet owners, and some of us are working. Yeah, now, I, my sister-in-law did have a ferret as a pet in the past. Do they make good pets? Yes, they do. And they're ideal for teenagers and, and kids because 
ferrets actually sleep for quite a long time. So what would a working ferret do? Well, I um, go out rabbiting and I, I use a ferret down a rabbit hole to bolt a rabbit out, not to kill the rabbit down under. I need the ferret to push a rabbit out of its warren and then I just butcher the rabbit and then I've got my dinner. And how long have you been ferreting? Oh, when I first knew about ferrets, I was six years old, so... <laughs> and my lifetime. So tell us a bit more about what the club does, what the Wessex Ferret Club does then. Oh, uh, we have some social evenings and um, we have all sorts of uh, events, like we've had the Isle of Wight Trust come and do a talk for us. We have a guy that has birds of prey come and have chats. We also do events like this to raise money for rehoming, rescuing and rehoming ferrets, to which I am the rehoming coordinator, as well as there's many other jobs in the club. It sounds like you're a, an instrumental part of it. <laughs> well, yeah, I sort of fell into everything. <laughs> <laughs> so how many ferrets have you got here at the show? Um, I really have no idea. Look like quite a um, few. We've got quite a few, mm. and we've got lots of members here explaining about their ferrets and how they keep their ferrets. There's, there's quite a few pet owners here today. Okay. <laughs> how, how long do ferrets live for? Um, well, that's a difficult question because if they were a truly wild animal, they wouldn't live any longer than three years. They're related to the stoats, weasels, uh, the mustelai family. So um, you wouldn't expect them to live that long, but eight, eight years is the most I've had. I normally say till their teeth fall out because then they can't feed themselves. But I don't know whether that's the right answer or not. <laughs> well, it's been fascinating talking to you about them. Thanks so much. Have a good day here. Yeah, and you. Thank you. Chris Green is known as the Cornish Countryman and his adventures in wildfowling started from an early age, as did his love of the countryside. Chris's films on pigeon shooting and wildfowling have had wide success, establishing him as one of the country's leading authorities on filming country sports and someone who's not afraid of a few loud bangs. He joins us now. Hello, Chris. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Well, what a stage we're at. What have you got planned for today? Well, we got an action-packed programme of events in the main arena right the way through the day, and uh, they brought me up. I'm always a great favourite to this show, because I love being invited to this show, because it's such a brilliant day out. And uh, the Hampshire Countryman's Day, I've been doing it for many years now. But in the main arena, we've got so many different demonstrations. Uh, I'm here to do the uh, Ancient Art of Wildfowling, which is the oldest shooting sport. Wow. Oh, and what does that involve, Chris? Well, it's, uh, it's all to do is a little bit bare grills-ish because it's in a hideous environment of the estuary in the dead of winter. So it's tidal, of course, so it's very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And it's all to do in the pursuit of uh, the oldest and wisest and most cleverest sharp-sighted quarry, and that is the wild ducks and geese. And what started your interest in wildfowling, then? Well... Like most people, I suppose, my dad took me out many years ago when I was 11 years old, and uh, and I was fascinated. He told me the stories of the old punt gunners in the old days, in his day, and he said he'd be out there on the marshes and hear this great big boom, and in my little boy's imagination, I'd, I could just imagine these big guns in pursuit of the ducks. Of course, we eat everything we catch, that's the point. And so today... What does it look like for you? So you're doing wildfowling past and present this morning. Mm -hmm. what, what, what's going to happen in that display? Well, to be fair with you, the, they got the programme wrong because I used <laughs> to do a demonstration. 
<laughs> I used to do a demonstration called uh, the history of the, of the gun and um, for the last 20 years they've kept that same programme without realising I don't do that, I haven't done it for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Will you but bring it back? <laughs> it doesn't matter so I can improvise you see so it's uh, basically the wildfowling show but in more of a historical side. Okay yeah. and, and uh, is there a lot of interest in wildfowling from a younger generation? Well that's a very good question because uh, there, there are, so I've just come down from the game fair, I drove all the way down from North Wales right on Anglesey there last night so I've only had two hours sleep so if I'm garbling forgive me but um, but yeah um, there are of course the, the shortages of, of what we would like I mean when I was a boy you had to wait 20 years to join a club nowadays all the old people have died and it's you know, of course, um, they're open membership. So there's still lots of interest, but nothing like it used to be. It used to be a national sport, didn't it? Wildfowling. And it's obviously important to you to keep it alive. Oh, well, it's a passion of mine because it's the hardest thing to do. Anyone can shoot driven pheasants. Yeah, anyone can do that if you're a very old man. But you go wildfowling, you've got a big backpack, weighs 40 pounds in weight. You watch my show. It's, uh, it's quite, quite hard on, you know, full on. And uh, as I say, you, you need to be pretty fit and have a bit of heart. So how many shows a year do you do? Well, um, it was pre-COVID, I used to do a lot of shows. I used to do 32 shows a year. So, outside of the shows, what, what else do you do? Um, well, I'm, a, I'm an inventor. I make films for a living is what I do. Hunting films, wildfowling films. Um, it's, it's basically it's all to do with wildlife, farming, um, fishing, hunting. It's all to do with catching your own food. And there's so many town people just haven't... They would love to do it, but they don't know how. So that's why I make the films. And, and where do you where do you shoot your films? All over the UK? Yeah, all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotland, Northern Ireland, sometimes um, go all over. I've been invited to go down to South Southern Ireland, so that's going to be an adventure. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. Is it a year round? Uh, pursuit, or is it something you can do just seasonally? Oh no, it's a good, good question because uh, it's obviously the season starts on the first of September and runs all the way through to the twentieth of February on the tide line. And a lot of people imagine that we're shooting ducks on a pond. This is nothing could be further than the truth because when you're hunting on the the wild estuaries, it's a totally different world. You've got to know about the tides and the moon and the habits of the the wild ducks. And they're the wild ones, you know, they're, they're not pheasants, see? It sounds like you have quite an adventure. Oh, it, it certainly things. is. It's great. You ought to come out one day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the invitation. I might well do. What's been the most scariest thing you've, you've had happen to you, though, doing this sort of well, thing? Well, I've been cut off by the tide so many times, it's second nature now. Where You hear these stories of people coming on holiday. I live in Cornwall, see? And uh, you get these people coming down from the town. They walk along the beach. Next thing you know, they're surprised to see the tides coming. They can't get back. So they call the Coast Guard. Out they come. Dun, 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 and they rescue it. All they're really doing is getting them home in time for tea. They're not saving lives because if the people knew it, they just sit on a rock, wait for the tide to come up, go back down again, and then you can walk back the way you just come. But uh, you know, in the school holidays, every week they've been called out for the same thing all the time because people are stupid. They just don't know. And how long would it take you to to make one of your films? It takes me two years to make one DVD. Of course, we're going to go streaming soon because obviously DVDs next five years will probably be going uh, out a bit. But um, uh, but yeah, it takes me about two years to make one film a lot of effort goes into it i do all the filming all the camera work all the sound i do all the editing and where can people find you online well um uh, westcountryfilms.co.uk is where i'm to but uh, if you want to know about the real world like I say chris packham he's got his agenda we show the other side of the story so that's what it's all about chris it's been lovely to talk to you have a great day here thanks very much my pleasure come to the show it's magic we've come round to the most <laughs> fascinating stand here with a lot of wild birds. And we've met with Ray. Hi, Ray. Hello. I've stood right next to you, and you are holding... It's, it's, it's Dobby. It's a little kestrel. 
He's a little bird, he's so socially in friend. He's not tame, there's no such thing as tame, but he's very sociable and he sits on all the little kids' hands. He seems very comfortable just yeah, sat there. Yeah, he's sociable, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's, this is not alien to him, he goes from show to show and he's nine years old now, so he's sort of like got the t shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, who else do you have here? Um, Some quite interesting birds. Right, the ones along the front are falcons. Two of them are peregrines, and the two on the outsides, and the two in the middle are Lana falcons from North Africa, so they're called a desert falcon. And the one on the far side is a, a third one, because the three males fly together. Okay. Yeah. Now, normally they hunt as a pair, male and female, but this is a show, and two males are faster over the shorter distance, so therefore they're more exciting. Okay, that's yeah? interesting, yep. Uh, and they don't know that there's the usually is a female there. See, the female being bigger, when they hunt naturally, she can bring in a, a bigger meal than the male to feed both of them, or main, mainly the young. And the one that I am staring at diagonally now... Is my vulture. Yeah. That's Archie. He's amazing. Yeah. He's a wild caught bird, but I've had him 23 years now. Uh, and he's brilliant, right? The hardest thing with him is getting him to trust man, because he was about four years old when I got him, so he'd had experiences. Uh, but he's great with children. Is he? Right? So yeah. I don't really encourage him to go near human adults, right? Because it's an adult that would lash out where at first reaction of a child is to run away and if it, the kids walk up to him he'll run away from them but once I've shown the kid what to do and they ask him to come and see him he'll walk over and he'll sit on their bare arm and how, right. how long have you been involved with falconry? Since I was a teenager and this is my 39th year of doing this for a living around the summer shows so yeah, for me the kestrel was one of the very first birds of prey I saw and for years before buzzards and kites came back and were more prevalent, the kestrels were the only ones you saw. That's right. Their numbers, you don't see as many along the road as you did, but you see far more buzzards now, didn't you? And you'll see a lot of red kites. And they're all after the same small mammal on the ground. I was going to ask you about the red kites. There aren't all too many of them. Yeah, is that too many of them? There are too many of them have been hand reared. They are very, very familiar. Familiarity breeds contempt with that that cannot be reasoned with. And I hear things all the time. People complaining. They come down, grab at the McDonald packets and kids and dive bombing you. It's like the seagulls around the coast. And when you get off the boat for the Channel Islands, a sign so do not feed the gulls. Every country else encourages the red kites here. But gradually, gradually, more and more people that I speak to on a regular basis are complaining that come and talk to me. Too many of them. Around the garden, they're coming in here, they're doing this. Do they affect the habitat of the rest of the birds here? Well, they, they will to a degree because they're in larger numbers than they really should be. There's some huge groups. A man was talking to me this morning and he works at an abattoir. So he's always had buzzards sitting here and the old gold coming over. He says, but when you look out there now, there's usually at least 40 to 50 floating around constantly all the time. That's not normal. There's too many of them, right? And eventually something will be done about it. Same as the magpie. I mean, when I was a kid, you'd see the odd magpie, and the essence was you, you tipped your hat to it. Now you'd be like a nodding dog in the back of a car, <laughs> wouldn't you? There's too many of them. For every four eggs that a magpie steals, in a perfect world, over a ten-year period on paper, could have multiplied into 4,040,000 birds. So you wonder where all those little sparrows and that have gone? Well, there's part of it. 
So there's lots of things that are affecting them, and, and, it, and it goes around. Our peregrine population is probably one of the healthiest in Europe. Now, there's one bird we haven't spoken about. My eagle. Yes. Sicilian blue eagle. Beautiful a, uh, eagle. Yeah, Beautiful. very striking. I mean, uh, not as big as a golden eagle, but then it is pretty, yeah? And it is a show, and it's something that people don't get to see very often. And you wouldn't find one in every bird book either, where you'll always see a picture of a golden eagle. The fact he's not as big, he only weighs just under four pounds, at least you can let some people have a hold of him, because he's not too bad to handle. Where, where do you source, where do you get your birds from? Uh, there is something being bred by someone in the country somewhere. There isn't nothing that's not being bred in captivity. And if it wasn't for that, there's a lot of things that wouldn't be around anymore, unfortunately, but from people's passion as to what they do, yeah? And what a falcon is doing, really, is this bit of a glorified twitcher. He's just putting himself in a situation to see the bird do what it was going to do normal, right? And not have to sit there for days and days and days and wait for it to happen, you know? A fisherman judges his day by... He talks about the fish that got away, that give him such a fight. And the falcon would talk about the flight that the bird had. It nearly got it, not the rabbit it caught easy, because that's not the sport, is it? You want to see your bird chasing that and see him do everything that he's capable of doing to catch his own dinner. Well, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, Ray, about your birds. Have a lovely day here. We will do. The P stands for Petersfield. It's like the best town ever. <laughs> the Peapod. And we finish our wander around the country sports show by meeting up with Richard again. Richard, how's it going? So far, so good. Uh, yeah, nice and busy. We're on just about 100 entries already for the competition. So, uh, yeah, everyone seems to be enjoying themselves. And what's the age range who, who've entered the oh, competition? Um, probably the youngest so far would be about, probably my son actually, 14. <laughs> um, right up to sort of probably mid-70s. So, yeah, and plenty of ladies as well. So, all good. So, what time does the competition start? Uh, the competition started about 9.30 and we'll run... Um, Run it to about four o'clock, um, and then see who's who's won the money. So th- there's lots of uh, gunfire. You're not wearing um, any earplugs or anything like that. No, you're just no, used well, to it. Well, no, we're in the tent here, so it's fine. But oh, no. obviously, if you're if you're out near the shooting, then it's advisable to wear ear protection. It's a nice spot here, isn't it? It's cracking. Yeah. yeah. No, we're in the in the dell, so we've got uh, got the safari tent and the little double decker bus next door for the for the food and drink. So all good. Nicely set up. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. what, what, is the, what is the prize that someone can win for the competition today? Uh, so we've got a cash prize for the overall winner of £100. Uh, and we've got a pool shoot uh, as well, which is a separate competition. So people just pay and they can keep going as many times as they like on that. Um, and the winner takes all at the end of the day on that. So somebody might win £100, £150 on that. And then uh, we're giving away cartridges for sort of the, the, you know, the ladies, juniors, veterans prizes as well. So... Um, no, there's a bit of all sorts going on. Glad we popped down to see you, Richard. Good. Well, have a wander around and, and uh, see what you think. Thank you. Will do. And that's it for this week's Peapod. Thank you for joining us. Thanks also to Bill Tirrett-Drake, Richard Folds, Chris Green, the exhibitors we met, and to Susie Wilde, as well as to our producer, M. Sefton-Smith, and the Shine Radio team. We end this week's Peapod with music from Portsmouth-born musician Emily Lierre and her latest single, Extraordinary. So from Joff and I this week, bye. I've been struggling with my inner 
telling me how to feel And I thought you knew the battles for days You were the one in command But you said you needed time away And I just needed you Petersfield, let's build a band. A beat from Dragon Street and a snare from the square. A bass from Penn's Place, a gliss from Liss and a fill from Bell Hill. Ooh, some vocals from us locals and the Dave Gilmore of Tilmore. Only Petersfield's Shine Radio plays original music from local musicians. The Local Showcase with Mandy P is sponsored by Brickyard Studios. Petersfield's professional recording studio, rehearsal space and PA hire. The Local Showcase, Thursday nights at 9 and always online at shineradio.uk. 